Chapter 2, Life, Love, and the True Gift of Sex Female Sexuality Do you remember how you first learned about sex? Who told you? How old were you? How did you feel about it? The first time I learned about sex was at a sleepover in fifth grade. There was a lot of whispering, giggling, and embarrassment, especially around the word penis. Honestly, it was pretty innocent, but it was completely insufficient. I learned a part, but not the whole. The most important part was left out. We'll get to what that is a little later in the chapter. In this chapter, we'll be discussing the topic of sexuality. We will talk about sex, but there's a lot more to our sexuality than just sex, so let's start with a broader picture. When I googled definitions of sexuality, I found sexual activity, the state of being sexual, or sexual orientation, but these are just facets of our sexuality. All of these things and more are wrapped up in our personhood, and more specifically, our womanhood. Sexuality is the human person's way of being, respectively, male and female. It's also the manner, traits, tendencies, patterns of behavior in which we embody and express masculinity and femininity as human persons. Our sexuality encompasses more than just our ability to have sex and procreate. This quote is from the Sacred Congregation for Catholic Education. Our sexuality characterizes man and woman not only on the physical level, but also on the psychological and spiritual making its mark on each of their expressions. Such diversity, linked to the complementarity of two sexes, allows a thorough response to the design of God according to the vocation to which each one is called. Our identities as daughters of God, Jesus' love for us, our behaviors, our bodies, our hormones and emotions, as well as our attractions and desires are all integrated. We must look at all of these things together. Our femininity, our womanhood, is totally ingrained in who we are. For love. The Catechism says, Sexuality affects all aspects of the human person in the unity of his body and soul. It especially concerns affectivity, the capacity to love and procreate, and in a more general way, the aptitude for forming bonds of communion with others. There's something about our sexual nature that's connected to the way we form bonds of communion with others and the way that we love. And the greatest commandments are to love God and to love neighbor. So here's a definition for female sexuality that I propose we use in this chapter. Feminine sexuality is a woman's distinct way of loving that is meant to be fruitful. There are two points I want us to focus on in this definition. One is that a woman's way of loving is distinct. Love is not a lofty idea. It's a lived, personal act. When you love, it's you doing the loving. Your own personality and femininity comes through when you love others. Two, sexuality has a particular relationship with life in that we would expect to see life flourishing wherever persons live a healthy sexuality. Therefore, our loving should be fruitful and life-giving. Sexuality is oriented towards life and, in a Christian understanding, characterized by generous self-gift. Both men and women contribute to the conception of life, but women have been given the incredible role in bearing life in a way that is unique to women. 
I have given birth to two children and I can't even describe the power and beauty that transpired when my kids were born. Okay. Giving birth was by far the hardest thing I have ever physically done and labor pains are real, but the moment of my children's birth was truly heaven meeting earth. God willed these children into being. They miraculously developed in my humble womb and then they were born into the world. Bringing life. Some women will bring life into the world through bearing children, but every woman brings life into the world regardless of circumstances. Sit with this idea for a moment. Picture a room full of guys, regular good guys. Now imagine a woman walking in. I think something special happens right then and there, don't you? Sorry guys, but women bring beauty, life, and joy into a room in a way that men just don't. Let me give an example. You know at a wedding when a bride comes down the aisle? We're all there to celebrate the couple together and their marriage, but there's something unique and beautiful when the bride walks into the church. We in the congregation, not to mention the groom, are moved by her beauty. And I bet that collectively we could come up with other examples of how women bring life into an environment to a conversation, or to a relationship. It's in our nature as women to bring life. Because as I mentioned in the previous chapter, motherhood is imprinted upon each one of us. A better lens. Family is a big deal to God. Such a big deal that Jesus was born into a family. It's hard to understand God's intentions in anything if we don't understand that he has always intended for us to be a family, a people together. And all people were designed to be born into and raised up in the context of family. Therefore, in order to understand God's intentions regarding our sexuality, we have to look at it through the lens of family. In the very nature of our sexuality, we discover the responsibility of passing on and caring for life. This means we need to look at sexuality through a wider context than merely the pleasure of partners. God's plan for establishing a people, a society, has at its foundation the family. Children are born into an environment of love and commitment and brought up to know God. At the heart of the family is the committed relationship of the husband and wife. They have a covenant relationship with one another that is a reflection of the love that Christ has for the church. We're made for communion. And what's the most perfect image of communion that we can look to? The Trinity. What's the next best image of communion that we can look to? Family. When a man and woman come together in the marital act, life comes forth. Then they pour out their lives in the raising up of children. You're probably thinking what I would be thinking reading this. What about all the times family life doesn't work this way? Infertility, divorce, discord. I know that there are many hard situations that people face in real life. But when we look at the basic fundamental expression of family, we see a model for our life together as men and women and the purpose of our sexuality. This is the lens that we'll have as we proceed through the chapter. I believe that as we dive into this content that God wants to show us the gift of being a woman and the gift of our female sexuality. In this next section, we will get into how we experience our sexuality in day-to-day life. But first, we're going to talk about our heart's desire. If men and women are different, it follows that the way we experience our sexuality and desires is different. But we are not less sexual than men. A woman's sexual desire is grounded in our innate desire for relationship. In the depths of her heart, a woman wants to be known and loved, to be wanted and chosen. 
we can see this played out in our desires for friendships and for relationships. The point I want to make next is one that you've probably heard before. If you're like me, though, it's important that we keep being reminded of it. Our relationship with others are important, but they are not actually the object of our deepest desires, nor are they the source of our deepest satisfaction. Our relationship with God is. God is our ultimate happiness, our soul's longing, our deepest satisfaction. No other relationship will ever be enough. Only when God is experienced as the object of our deepest desires and we go to him to be the source of our deepest satisfaction will we ever experience true joy and fulfillment. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We are called to have a single heart for the Lord, no matter our vocation or state in life. We are made for heaven, for ultimate fulfillment for all of eternity. Because of this, we will always experience a yearning for more in this life. To recognize that eternal life with God in heaven is our ultimate desire has practical benefits in the here and now. We find we're in a better position to discern and enter into our vocations. For example, we don't place impossible expectations on a merely human spouse. There's actually great freedom knowing that nobody but God can completely satisfy us. You have a father. Our understanding of our identity as women and our sexuality is deeply rooted in our relationships with our earthly fathers. The relationship between father and daughter is in the first is the first place little girls experience the love of a man. This and the way she sees her father love her mother can pave the way for how she understands love in the future. I spoke with a friend who has three sweet little girls. She said that her daughters are free to dance, sing, and laugh in the presence of her, her husband, their father. She said, there's a deep sense of security that comes from him. Their father is laying a foundation for them to know their worth and dignity and that they are lovable. This foundation will be critical for them to stand on when they face things in this life that want to rob them of this truth. She continued by saying, they love hearing daddy tell, him how tell them how beautiful they look or how important they are to him, but I think we will see these fruits more later in life. And isn't that true? Daughters of fathers who might have been passive, absent, aggressive, or inattentive might struggle later on with understanding her worth. She may feel like she wasn't protected from harm. She may feel like she needs to find validation elsewhere because she didn't receive it at home. She may look to unstable or unhealthy relationships because she didn't see a healthy relationship modeled by her parents. Sisters, whether your earthly father instilled a deep sense of love, identity, and worth in your heart or not, you have a father who is perfect. He delights in you. He wants to protect you. He weeps when you weep and he laughs when you laugh. And you can go to him and he will tell you the truth of who you are in his eyes. This is a testimony from a woman named Laura. Her name has been changed for privacy. Quote, For the first 21 years of my life, I let the voices around me define me, those of my teachers, coaches, parents, siblings, friends, etc. Often these voices spoke things like, you're a successful athlete, you're a gifted student, or you're a loyal friend. 
Occasionally, though, these voices spoke things to me like, you're not very feminine. You're too much. Men are probably intimidated by you. You and your religious beliefs are naive. Wait until you really experience life. Since I'd let these voices define me for my entire life, how was I supposed to sort them out, sort out the truth from the lies? I began believing them, all of them. I believed that the voices, I believed the voices that said I was smart and strong, but I also believed the voices that said I wasn't feminine. I believed the voices that said I was probably attracted to women, the ones that said men wouldn't be interested in me. I believed these voices for years before reaching a point of desperation. I knew that none of these voices were fully articulating who I was. Who was I? In a particularly anointed season of prayer, I finally brought this question, who am I, to the one whose voice is the only one that matters. I brought that question to my father, my creator, the one who formed my inmost being, who understands my thoughts from afar. And he had things to say. He spoke in the gentle words of a loving father. He casted away any other title I'd claim for myself and simply called me beloved daughter. It was that simple. I was his beloved daughter. Nothing more and nothing less. Because to be his beloved daughter was precisely enough. As I learned to let God speak into my identity as his daughter, he taught me to live in that identity. I began to understand the gift of my femininity the ways I was in fact sensitive, generous, receptive, and maternal. I began to see the ways that gifts like strength, leadership, and confidence were not contradictory to my femininity, but were all contained within the mystery of the gift. In recognizing my identity as a woman of God, he restored my confidence in him and who he made me to be as a woman. Understanding Attraction Remember how God made us good? That means that many of our desires are also good, natural, and for a purpose. It is good that we have sexual desires. That's how God made us. But it's also helpful to understand how to relate to them. Just because we experience strong desires and attractions does not mean that we're meant to act on them. I desire to eat endless amounts of chocolate, peanut butter, ice cream, but that would leave me very sick. A married woman may find a man who's not her spouse to be attractive, but that obviously does not mean that she should flirt with him. We may be attracted to a man who's actively discerning the priesthood or who's setting aside dating for a time to build up the men's environment on campus. We might be attracted to someone, but we ourselves are recognizing a need to deal with some self-growth before we can commit to a relationship. These are just a few examples of times that we shouldn't act on our desires. I am going to have attraction my whole life, no matter my circumstances. Married women, and religious sisters still experience attraction. When you are married or if you become a religious sister, you're not going to want to act on those attractions. Why not practice this now? This is not to say that our attractions don't have a place in our life. The point I wish to make is simply that they do have a place, and we need to be mindful of what that place is. Our desire to give ourselves so fully and completely is right and beautiful, If we are made by God to be a self-gift, of course we will experience a desire to give ourselves entirely to another. I've heard so many women say that they didn't know that their desire for intimacy, their sexual attractions, are rooted in a good desire for unity and self-gift. The key is that these desires have a time and a place. We have to temper these attractions and desires, even when we're ready for a dating relationship. 
The fact that a woman is passionately aroused and physically attracted to a man is part of how God created us to move towards marriage. Practically, we can look to our bodies to understand our desires more. Women are only fertile for a couple days out of the month. Men are literally always fertile. Have you ever noticed that during a certain time of the month, you may be really struggling with being single when the rest of the month you're pretty content? Or that during a certain time of the month, you really struggle with sexual purity? If you have, that's totally normal. It may mean that you're just ovulating. By the way, you can actually chart your cycles to track when you ovulate and when your period is coming. If you don't already do this, I encourage you to. It's not just for married women to do. It's empowering to understand our bodies and how our hormones influence our thoughts and desires. This gives us a big heads up so that we can prepare, be prepared to know how to respond to our inclinations. The heart of the lesson. Let's go back to that first time we learned about sex. What was the most important part that many of us didn't learn about when we were 10? Don't worry, I won't leave you hanging any longer. The most important part is that sex is a part of God's loving plan for us. If we didn't learn this, that doesn't mean our parents and teachers didn't do the best they could. But the fact is that many, the way many of us learned about sex was insufficient and possibly led us to have a disordered view of our sexuality. If we look at sex through an integrated approach, remembering God's love for us, his plan for family, and the way he designed our bodies, we can see that our sexuality was designed by God for our good and our ability to love fully, faithfully, freely, and fruitfully. This is a concept that JP2 taught on in depth in his Theology of the Body. If you're interested in understanding this further, you'll find resources in the back of this book for further reading. The Catechism says, The acts in marriage by which the intimate and chaste union of the spouses take place are noble and honorable. The truly human performance of these acts fosters the self-giving they signify and enriches the the spouses in joy and gratitude. Sexuality is a source of joy and pleasure. God created sexual love to have two purposes, unitive and procreative. Sexual union belongs within the security of marital union, which includes a mutual promise of lifelong faithfulness between man and woman. Another word that the church uses is conjugal. The catechism says conjugal means committed. So God created the union of man and woman and sex to be expressed within a married, committed relationship. Only in this relationship can one give a true gift of self. The very act of sex communicates, I give myself wholly and totally to you without reserve. In giving one's body to another wholly and without reserve also means that they are giving their fertility. Not all sexual unions lead to procreation, but the church teaches that all sex between married couples should be open to God's gift of life. If there is not an openness to procreation, sex does not communicate what it ought, and there is something lacking in the self-gift of persons to one another honest talk. We've established that sex is for marriage and we've established that desires for a relationship, marriage, children, and sex are good and natural. So is this triggering some internal angst? (laughs) If so, you're not alone. It is true to say that you're called to live a celibate life so long as you're not married and that the Lord wants you to experience joy and contentment where you are right now. But that doesn't always make it easy. We experience a lot of challenges in living out our sexuality, especially as young, unmarried women. For instance, waiting sucks. 
it's always hard to wait for the next thing, no matter what that might be. In this challenge, the Lord is calling us to a deeper trust in him. Is he enough? If you only ever have what you have right now, would you trust God that he would be enough? We all struggle with waiting and being content where the Lord has us, but maybe you're wrestling with other things. I've experienced this phenomenon where in non-Christian environments, it's celebrated to talk about sex. It's totally normal to talk about hookups, masturbation, pornography, etc. But once someone enters into a Christian environment, people seem to stop talking about those things altogether. On one hand, I think this comes from a reverence for sex. We don't want to make light of it. But on the other hand, I don't think we often know how to talk about it. If it is talked about, it can be awkward or feel condemning. There doesn't seem to be opportunities to share our struggles. Let's be women who change that. Let's be women who know that we are loved by God and who build sisterly relationships and environments of trust. You may be struggling with masturbation or pornography. Maybe you struggle with your sexual orientation. Maybe you struggle to remain pure in a relationship. I want to tell you that you are not alone and God loves you so much. Satan wants to make us feel like we have to live in the dark, but God has freedom for you. I want to share a testimony um, from a woman named Mary, whose name has also been changed for privacy. Quote, I began masturbating when I was a child and didn't know what it was. Once I understood what I was doing, I didn't understand why or how masturbation could be harmful or bad for me if it felt good and wasn't hurting anybody. I wish someone had really sat down with me and explained human sexuality from God's perspective and why it was designed for our good and for our ability to love fully, faithfully, freely, and fruitfully. Without that kind of conversation or guidance, I felt ashamed, frustrated, and confused and mostly just ignored it throughout high school. In college, I heard talks about the meaning and beauty of sex through campus ministry. I began to make the connection that masturbation functioned as a pursuit of pleasure for myself and not a gift of myself and my body to another. However, a common opinion in society today is that masturbation is a healthy habit and we have a right to pleasure ourselves in that way. I believed that until I started reading some of the science of the process and saw that it was fostering an addiction to the release of endorphins and oxytocin. I started to see why this habit was a negative thing for me. I got to the point where I wanted to break the habit, and I tried, and I couldn't. None of the Catholic women I was around talked about struggling with this, so I assumed I was the only one. I was afraid of losing my reputation as a good Catholic girl, so I kept it hidden in a dark place and didn't tell a soul. Then, one day, I was hanging out with my friend, and she ended up telling me about her testimony, which included a struggle with porn and masturbation. For the first time ever, I told another soul that I was struggling with masturbation. Her vulnerability gave me the ability to bring it to the light. Bringing it to the light just took so much weight off of my shoulders. Later that semester, I was able to talk to another Catholic friend about it who struggled with the same thing. That friend and I became each other's accountability buddies. We agreed that we were going to check in on each other regularly. We prayed for each other and encouraged each other. I experienced healing when I asked the Father how he sees me and saw that he looks upon me with a love that says I am precious in his eyes and he desired greater freedom for me. 
In this way, God redeemed how I saw myself and how I saw my sexuality. My sexuality is good and is a gift from God so that I can give myself as a gift to another. That is the design of true, authentic love. Single-hearted. Let's talk about purity. If that word is calling to mind memories of awkward high school women's talks and you're feeling a little cringy, I'm with you, but let's move past it and really dig into what God has for us in regards to this topic. There's depth here that I don't want us to miss. When I was 17, I was convinced that a relationship with a guy would make me happy and fulfilled. If they thought I was attractive and spent time with me, in my mind, that meant I was beautiful and worthy, even if they were totally uncommitted and just after a hookup. This didn't get me far. I was depressed and lost and ready for someone to tell me the truth, and thankfully someone did. A friend told me, you're not going to be satisfied doing what you're doing. Only Jesus is going to satisfy you. This hit me like a ton of bricks. No one told me this before. The next day I prayed and I surrendered my life to God. My heart seemed to transform overnight, but my habits didn't. A few months later, I found myself in the midst of a serious battle where I was desperately trying to overcome years of habits and sin in order to follow Jesus. I asked that same friend, what do I do now? And they said, start praying every day. So I started praying every day. I sought out friends who would support me in my walk with Christ. I sought out prayer for healing, and I made practical changes in my life. Gradually, I became more rooted in God, and it became easier to say no to sin or to situations that would lead me to sin. I became more confident in who I am and that my worth comes from being a daughter of God. I say this because it's a process. Living in purity of mind, heart, and body takes time to cultivate. If we aren't ever feasting on top-notch delicious food, we won't know that there's anything better than fast food. We have to feast, so to speak, at the banquet table that God gives us, in prayer, in the sacraments, in our life in Christ, to know that there is more than the fleeting pleasures of this world. When we are tempted with impurity, we need to ask ourselves, what am I looking for? Who am I looking for? Ultimately, we are looking for Christ. To live a life of purity is to be single-hearted for the Lord. It is to embody in our thoughts, speech, and actions the belief that Jesus is enough for us. The fruit of living a pure life isn't merely to help men not be tempted. It's to experience freedom in knowing that Christ alone satisfies us. Practically, I'll offer a few tips to keep in mind. One, be honest. I know these will be challenging, but I share them with love because that's how they were shared to me. Okay, Avoid late nights alone with someone you're attracted to, and even when you're dating, watch out for talk and text that stray into physically intimate subjects. Basically, don't put yourselves in situations that will make it easy to go too far. This goes for our mind and emotions as well. There are personal things that I've shared with men who are not my now husband that I wish I hadn't. Our bodies and our hearts are so special and should be reserved for either Jesus alone or our future husbands. Two, always ask, is this helpful? And what are my intentions? Sometimes things will seem gray when you're making decisions. Should I go on that co-ed trip to a cabin? Should I wear those jeans that highlight my butt? Should I respond to that late night text from the guy I think is cute? Should I kiss my boyfriend? Should I have another drink? 
The best rule of thumb I can give you is asking, is this helpful? Could this decision make it harder to commit to taking a time of being intentionally single? Is it helping me to build sisterhood in my house if I'm texting a guy in the community every night? What am I drawing attention to if I'm wearing a certain article of clothing? And what are my intentions? What am I looking for if I do X, Y, or Z? Are my actions communicating that I trust God? And three, persevere and have hope. When you fall, keep getting back up. You're not alone. Share your struggles with trusted sisters. Keep praying and don't withdraw from God if you feel ashamed or discouraged. We are called to be a gift of self to others. In order to be a gift of self, we must first possess ourselves and surrender our minds, hearts, and bodies to God. Purity is proactive. It's not just an act of avoiding bad things. We talked earlier about how women bring life to the world. Right now, as single people, you are called to live celibacy, but this celibacy has a purpose. We can be a gift of self in our friendships, our service of others, our studies, and our work. This means that our lives bear fruit right now.